Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm your host, Barbara Fisher. Today, close to in bulk, I'm talking with Daniela Simina, and she's been here before. And she just came out with a new book called A Fairy Path, The Memoirs of a Young Fairy Seer in Training. And it's very excellent. We're going to talk about that and probably other stuff, too. Welcome, Daniela. I'm so glad to see you again. Hello, hello. I'm so, so glad to be back. Uh, We had a very exciting episode last time. So many things, um, questions left unanswered. We just didn't have the physical time not to get into everything. So I'm very glad to be here to uh, continue, in a sense, the discussion that we started last time, but also to bring up new topics and look at fairy magic and what I'm writing about fairy magic from a new point of view, different angle Okay. Um, at that. So, yay. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, we, we went as deep as we could the first time and not talk for five hours, um, which is... <laughs> I I I didn't want to like you know uh, mm-hmm. destroy your ability to like communicate by making you talk forever. I could have though. I could have I could have mm-hmm. talked with you forever and ever. But uh, I'm glad that you you came back. Okay. Before we start talking about fairy magic, I want to talk about your book a little bit, and then it's just gonna it's gonna flow. It's gonna come. Um. A Fairy Path is interesting because it is a memoir, Um, and one of my favorite genres to read is memoirs, because I think that the more experiences of humanity that we have, the more we understand everyone and ourselves. The more that we read about people from different places and different cultures who have different experiences than us, the more we see that they are human and not only are they human, but even if their experiences and culture are very, very different from us, what we learn is that inside we're all the same. We all have the same desires. We we have the same kinds of emotions. And that is honestly, I think that's a really interesting and good way to teach magic by showing how you got to where you are now. Um, so in this book, you tell from, what grade were you in? Um, it starts with me being in the third grade. That's what I thought. And it goes through a good part of fourth grade. So the book packs in what's happening over an arc of about two years. Yeah. Yeah. Very dense two years. And and that's two and a half years. Well, I think in in child development speak, those two years are like pivotal. I really mm-hmm. think that those are your brain is developing at a very fast pace. Your um understanding of the world, which you get from context clues most of the time, and from direct teaching from your family, is moving very quickly. You know, it, mm-hmm. this is like what I always said to uh, Morgana um, when she got older and Fox was a little little toddler kid. I was like, 
they get really interesting. I said, like, it, all kids get really interesting around third grade. That's that's when I was <laughs> oh, like, yes. not like, not like I didn't like him when he's toddling around and being really cute, but third grade is when they open their mouths and things just come out where they have learned their own understanding and then they add it to their cultural understanding and weird stuff just pops right out of their mouths and you go, huh, I never thought of that. So let's start with the very first sentence. And we're not going to do the whole text like this, people. Don't be all like (laughs) weird. Um, I started to worry. Yeah, it says... There's no such thing as Santa. Can you like elaborate on this? Absolutely. Yeah, and the and I really should say it wasn't just it doesn't say there's no such thing as Santa. There are quotes around it. Someone is saying it, and not only is she saying it, she's saying it loudly. Yeah, it's in capitals, I believe. Yeah. So there was this instance in my life when I heard my teacher so the person talking that is my third grade teacher yelling at me there is no such thing as santa and actually slamming her her hand on 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 the on on the desk and she was very very irritated by the very idea that someone a child would bring up the idea of magic um and it may not be very obvious to the reader in the United States or other places around the world, why my teacher was so outraged about it. The action in the book is placed in the early 70s when in Romania we had a dictatorial regime. And what a dictatorial regime means is that the people who have the political power, they will tell you how to dress what you eat, what you believe you are allowed to believe and what you're not allowed to believe, um, how you should think. And if you do not align, if you do set your toe past the line, you are in trouble. And trouble ranges from uh, consequences like a child could have been placed in an uh, institution to be re-educated, rehabbed. Uh, for an adult, that could be prison or, again, conversations to help the adult involved clear up their mind and sort out the healthy from the unhealthy ideas. And the healthy, uh, making here bunny ears, uh, by healthy, it was intended what the political party was considered healthy. So with all that in mind, I can now looking back, I can understand my teacher's outrage because she was concerned that such a deeply mystical little being was emerging, was blossoming right underneath, uh, in front of her, in her class. So she was concerned, um, but as the reader I hope the reader will have the curiosity to follow through the pages of the book, will discover that my teacher herself was one of those honest believers in how sound and good that regime, political regime was. And she was like this fervent um, uh, preacher 
of the values that the dictatorial regime in Romania back then was um, representing, embodying, and trying to really instill into the citizens since the earliest possible. Like, and as, as you, Barbara, said, third grade childhood is a time when children are primed to absorb the world through either what they experience and what they are they are taught so those are formative years and are crucial now you might be wondering at this point how even the discourse of santa came about (laughs) and without giving here too much of a spoiler i want to say that um i had my own experiences and perceptions and sightings and interactions so this go beyond just imagining or oh i think i saw something in the corner of my eye I had my share of experiences since a very young age, since as early as I can remember, um, I can say. And I was trying to, in my child's, my in my mind as, as a child, I was trying to make sense of what I was seeing. And when I encountered this, um, what appeared to be like a gentleman dressed in a certain fashion, and because it was very early, it was the last day of November, I will never forget that. That's like etched into my memory. Um, Late November, now this is a time when in Romania we have like the first snow falling and, you know, that's deep, massive frost in most of the areas. So my mind combined, put two and two together, the apparition plus the time of the year. And I said, okay, wow, cool. That might be Santa Claus. So (laughs) I went around, you know, telling this like, hey, I saw Santa Claus. So, you know, it's not like we are told those things don't exist because I just saw him. So um, that kind of gives the idea what kind of experiences and sightings um, I was having and um, to make things even more confusing for the reader or for the listener right now, I'll go ahead and say that I grew up with my grandmother, so she lived with us, and she was a practitioner of folk medicine and a pharisaic. And now I'm just visualizing, I have this image of the audience going, What do you mean? You grew up with a fairy witch with a medicine woman right there and there was nobody to tell you about Santa Claus and what were you seeing and what is what and help you disentangle your own experiences. And and the answer here is twofold. First of all, um, I thought that all children can see what I'm seeing. Like, I remember one day walking into the classroom and telling everybody, hey guys, my cat was glowing blue this morning. What colors do your cats glow? (laughs) (laughs) I leave it to everyone's imagination to figure out what happened given the context that I just gave, you know, about a very strict, very... And I was very upset. I'm like either every i mean everyone's better than myself at keeping it a secret so they don't like to talk about what colors their cats or dogs are glowing so um that's that's one 
aspect that I didn't, I couldn't fathom from mm-hmm. the very beginning that not everyone was seeing, was perceiving this kind of things the way I did. And the other thing, um, my grandmother herself was trying to keep me away. Mm-hmm. When she was doing her charms and her healing magic and all those rituals, and she was really trying to keep me away. There was a time I could remember when I was like very, very little, like toddler age, when I could, I was uh, crawling into the spaces where she and her friends, her ladies were doing things and I was sticking my nose into everything. But then I also remember a time when she started to push me away and I was really, really frustrated. So grandma was there. Basically, my source of knowledge and potential answers was right there with me. And yet I couldn't reach. Um, What this um, led to I started to do things by myself and trying to figure out what I was seeing, what I was doing, what I was. And um, I was getting myself into trouble, talking to the wrong people, asking the wrong type of questions, people from outside the house. At which point, my grandmother realized that it's better if she begins to discuss with me about certain things because having these, she called them magical gifts. So having these magical uh, gifts could have gotten me into trouble. And I, I actually did get in trouble more than once. Yeah. Um, but there are none, nevertheless, they're gifts. And I could have been taught to use them better in useful ways, in productive ways. So she steps in basically to protect me. And mm-hmm. making me aware that this is not something to toy around with. The consequences can be very, very serious, um, ranging from mild discomfort to death. You know? Mm-hmm. I know it's a broad spectrum, but I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Now, grandmother, this is to tie back to the beginning of our discussion when we mentioned the the problem the problems arising from living under a an, an authoritarian regime. So grandmother, one of the reasons that she didn't want to tell me, I mean, teach me more, was that um, as a kid I would have probably went around speaking and sharing with my friends, little friends, what did I learn and what fabulous things can I do or not to do, um, which would have spelled trouble for, mm-hmm. for the for whole whole family and get us the wrong kind of attention from authorities, which, by the way, if you read the book, that actually does happen at some point. So we had the Romanian um, security services stepping in. So, uh, yeah, not fun. So that was the reason why she was concerned about teaching me on the other hand she had to because i was a danger to myself and others and um yeah so yeah teaching was the best way out of the situation yeah it took her a a little bit to come to that uh conclusion though because you know you you were you were stubborn and and you kept you kept listening at doors hey 
I'm not judging you. Yes. <laughs> I did that too. I pretended to be asleep a lot. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. I relate. Can relate. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't learn good as, as interesting stuff as you did that way. But still, I did learn lots of the family secrets that little mm-hmm. kids aren't supposed to know. And uh, that, you know, that's a thing that kids do. We're, we're curious, you know. And, and kids at that age are especially curious. Um, and you get to be curious not just about what you're learning in school, but everything. Because mm-hmm. you want to make sense of how all of this works. And you had your teacher um, who went by the title Comrade. So, yeah. you, you we, know, I mean. That's, that's how we were, we were talking to the teacher. I mean, you don't say ma'am or miss. Um, so it was like comrade such and such. So you step up there, take a nice, you know, upright position, and say comrade such and such, and you start addressing. So it was, it was getting pretty militarized, yeah. politicized. Certainly, it wasn't as bad as in our neighboring country, the ex-Soviet Union, because mm-hmm. we have a big common border with the ex-Soviet Union. So there was a lot of pressure on, you know, our government from theirs. Mm-hmm. So uh, they also made sure that we, uh, Romania, stays in line with. So yeah, a lot of stuff was imported. Oh yeah, transplanted, it, implanted yeah. with no choice over. Yeah, I mean, it, and that was the same for a lot of the Eastern Bloc countries at the mm-hmm. time. Yep, and yep. you know they were they were all little variations, you know, mm-hmm. but it was the same common thread of yes. authoritarianism. And that's, yeah. I think this is like at the core of the book is that mm-hmm. when you are a child in an authoritarian uh, country with mm-hmm. an authoritarian regime with stuff like secret police and security services and yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah, okay, we've got the CIA, but they don't follow kids to school and crap. I mean, I know the, that the... Uh, conspiracy theory people are going to be like yes they do and i'm like okay oh no just go over there no no they didn't uh, and they don't um you know yeah we have that stuff but it's not the same and it's one of the things that i found so crucial to the message of this book is these things are not only dangerous magic is not only dangerous because it's dangerous like as you said illness, death, mm-hmm. honestly, insanity. Um, yes, you can absolutely. You can lose your mind, essentially, mm-hmm. um, yes. if you play around in a stupid way. Um, so it's not just that. It's that other people recognize it as dangerous and want to stamp it out. Yep. Um, and that was, I mean, look, Look at the Catholic Church. For centuries, they knew darn good and well that that stuff worked and that it was dangerous. So they stamped it out. The only person allowed to do things like transubstantiation was the priest. Yes. That's the only person. And by the way, he could only read, he was the only one who could read the Bible because he was the only one who was taught Latin. And so <laughs> all of this stuff, you know, they, they kept it all together. Now, instead of doing it that way, it, the Romanian government did it the other way, which is stamp it straight out just by going, no, 
you don't believe it's like a giant gaslighting session like Mm -hmm. you can call authoritarianism a case of gigantic gaslighting where you tell your citizens Mm -hmm. you didn't see that that doesn't Mm -hmm. exist this is how we think of things that is how we do not think of things and if you don't think of things the way we do we're just going to keep we'll help you yeah we'll help you see it the right way yes Mm -hmm. because in a way the ones who are true believers believe they are helping you and this is actually this is this is why a lot of evangelical christian communities are really into this whole witnessing to non-christians because they truly do believe that these people are going to go to hell when they die and they want to save them and in their mind they are helping them same thing it is it's it's the exact same thing i mean i remember and they tried to make um and they were they were actually making programs for children that were super appealing Mm -hmm. for the mind of a young child they were and i had many among my friends who were themselves and their families were completely sold out on mm-hmm. this materialistic strictly 100% materialistic pragmatic uh, view of of the world and they i remember how they were telling kids that oh but you have the power and that's nothing more intelligent and stronger than the human mind look how we subdue the forces of nature and we create electricity electricity uh, in this um, plants you know the um, uh, using water power mm-hmm. and look how magnificent is the human mind and there's nothing about the human mind and with that it's it began the erosion in the belief of any other power or force outside the human as a person and then, of course, as a person, you have to listen to the uh, reasoning of other persons who are above you and who supposedly know better. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah, and that's 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 dangerous. And what what you said, I really like what you said about the um, the Catholic Church and believe Church and Christian or monotheistic religions in, in in general, but Christianity particularly, because in its advancing. It took on so much from the pre-Christian beliefs. I mm-hmm. mean, if you look in old uh, manuscripts of recorded handwritten prayer books that also incorporate healing charms, mm-hmm. and you see there, I, I, I believe this is from Laknunga, from this, this uh, leech book, um, and there are prayers there that it's like, calling for God's name and Jesus, and then the additional, you know, the addition of uh, deities. Mm-hmm. Or they're saints a, now. A, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're saints. And, but back then they were called, um, and this is not like a different term, where Odin mm-hmm. or Votan was called. And then later down in the, in the charm, does, does Jesus or, you know, God, mm-hmm. the Christian God uh, mention. So there was, things started to blend. So they realized that there's one, there are better ways to convince people by presenting them, hey, your deity and our deities, you know, they kind of mishmash together. 
and then gradually, gradually beginning to erase mm-hmm. the other and pushing your own agendas and then limiting, okay, the only ones who can do this are the ones who we give them the power and the authority to do so. And these mm-hmm. are the, the priests. Funny thing in Romania, I actually, uh, so there the, the predominant religion is Christian Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not going to tell what I find flawed with oh, with, with that. I mean, that, that could take us like a whole yeah, episode. Yeah, but you, you can give so, a little, little bit. So... Um, well, I don't like the uh, the blatant anti-Semitism that is present. If you if you uh, hear, you know, the the preaching of um, uh, John um, Chrysostomo, that's the Greek name, the John Golden Mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's very very virulent in his preaching against Christianity and against um, pagans in general. So there are those. Um, aspects that I do not like and I never felt like I was belonging with with that um, you know Christian view of the world but when Christianity took over to roots in Romania the pre-Christian many of them were deeply 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 ingrained and people would not let them let go of them and for example beliefs in fairies mm-hmm. and uh, medicine women and medicine men um, witches working with fairies so we have there the name it's an equivalent of the fairy seer i don't mm-hmm. have exact translation for it so i'm using fairy seer as the best you know closest uh, name and as such now also consider that many of the priests were coming from the countryside from the village and they themselves grew up with beliefs in fairies and things that were near and dear to their families, to their grandparents, to their great-grandparents. So growing a, an ecclesiastical class, so to speak, this is before communist times, when we didn't have much of an ecclesiastical class growing. So having this growing um, this class growing with this profession growing with roots into into their their heritage led to a very interesting uh, solution I would call it compromise solution these priests that weren't really really 150 percent not all of them convinced that all beliefs must be eradicated mm-hmm. so we end up in Eastern Orthodox uh, Christianity with fairy holidays and fairy festivals incorporated into the church calendar. Mm-hmm. And there are groups of fairies, two major groups of fairies in Romania, Rusali and Sanziene, which I bring about in the, the book and discuss there. And both of them have their holidays acknowledge big red letters in the church calendar of, of holidays. And they are under the name, it's Feast of Rusali and Feast of Sanziene. Um, a lot of the ancestor cult and uh, ancestor veneration practices have been incorporated into the church calendar. So we were really, really lucky there to have more of this syncretic blend and having a little bit of, you know, best of both worlds, except for, 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 for what I said, you know, the, there is a misogyny and there is an anti-Semitism 
to the old, you know, to the patristic mm-hmm. um, writings, church fathers, I'm quoting again, pioneers here, fathers, founders. So that is something that's very um, repelling, repulsive. I find it blatantly, absolutely repulsing. So that's that. But then the overall, a lot of the practices that we had from the pre-Christian past survived because they were incorporated in the Christianity. How does this go along with the, with the communist, uh, with the um, authoritarian regime? And again, the materialistic view that was um, imposed on us. The older generation, uh, generations, for most part, they knew how to play along with whatever the leadership um, wanted. But deep down, they wouldn't really buy it. So it was all a, it was it was a masquerade, you know, mm-hmm. really. So to see them talking with comrade this, comrade that, and then in private conversations over the phone, oh, madam, sir, which were not really allowed in, in you know, mm-hmm. um, conversations, at least in official settings, you wouldn't use those terms. So, and then our parents who are like an in-between, some of them still connected with their um, families, uh, their own parents, grandparents from the countryside, who are still very much connected to the old traditions and lore and folklore. And these parents of ours, like my own, living in the city, uni- educated in universities, um, and bombarded with the information that was fed to them. So they were really at loss. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I wasn't aware so much of that as a child. I mean, I could see the duality, but I couldn't really, you know, pinpoint um, the way I can do now, looking in retrospect and as an adult that I've seen and lived through quite a bit. So um, for me, it was extremely disorienting. Mm-hmm. At school, you're told, be yourself, be, uh, tell the truth, have the courage to take responsibility mm-hmm. for your own deeds and words, uh, be brave, stand up and speak your mind. And then the reality that I was confronted with, keep your mouth shut, because if you're going to speak up your mind, and stand up for your truth will end up all in jail mm-hmm. and you possibly in some sort of foster care, you know, to be re-educated or whatever. So I just didn't know what to believe. And for a young child, it is a really, really dramatic, um, very unsettling place to be. And I'm discussing in the book how I made sense of, of, um, how I started to make sense of my world and not feel guilty, mm-hmm. um, not feel ashamed that I can only say half truths, right. depending on whom I was talking to. Yeah. So yeah, that was so it's, that's it's, hard it's, on it's kids. Really bad. It's yeah. really hard on kids to be told one thing by outside authorities and another thing from your familial authorities, you Mm -hmm, know, you you want them to at least agree some, 
you know, and with your your parents, they did seem to kind of agree with the authorities on the outside, but not really. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, they, and they kids, just want us to be safe. Yeah, and yeah. kids can just, sense that, mm-hmm. even if it's not stated out up yeah. front. And one of the horrible things about being told in school, hey, say your mind, speak your truth, stand yes. up, be proud of, of what you understand, is... Okay, so I'm going to bring up uh, Maoist mm-hmm. China here. Uh, yeah. There was, right before the Cultural Revolution, there was a political, um, it, it, they called it the Campaign of the Thousand Flowers. And it's, it, you know, because it's poetics. So Chinese mm-hmm. people like yeah. poetic stuff. Yep. And that mm-hmm. makes it nice. And it sounds very similar to what, authorities taught you but the campaign of the thousand flowers was all about let's let a thousand flowers of intellect and understanding and Mm -hmm. knowledge bloom in our in our beautiful country exactly our unified country and everyone will have an opinion please state your opinions we have freedom of the press we have freedom of information yeah no because mm-hmm. what happened, that lasted about, you know, I don't know, six months, a year or something. Long enough for uh, the people who did stand up and write, you know, newspaper articles or magazine articles or books or whatever, expounding upon their own philosophy. It, it was long enough for somebody in the clerk's office to write down their names and addresses. Yes, Exactly. And when they were done with blooming, when we, you know, when the flowers all went to seed and those seeds could have dispersed, all those books disappeared, Mm -hmm. the newspaper articles disappeared, magazines disappeared, and so did the people. I was about to say, and the people disappeared. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. The the people were taken to re-education camps. Yeah, that's that's exactly how, uh, and actually, um, when I grew up, the... um, the government, the, the modeling, it, it was very much modeled. So they liked a lot what was happening in, in, in China. Mm-hmm. And we even had this um, monumental shows on stadiums, you mm-hmm. know, where, where you have the president standing there and waving at everybody. And we were like taken, you know, it was part of our summer vacation sometimes. And we were taken there, you know, to perform all these shows and displays mm-hmm. um that's how they to, use the yeah. that's how they use the uh the propaganda arts against mm-hmm. people um yeah. this is this is really hard for americans to understand um and that's why as i was reading this book i was like this is important and even if you don't give a, a rat's patoot about fairies i kind of think you should read it because <laughs> it shows how if you have an authoritarian government and they want to make people think their way, everything is geared towards doing that. And it, it, it can be, it can be the harmful way of making people disappear and go to the camps. It can be in the harm, harmless air quotes. They can make it very alluring. Yeah, very alluring, very interesting. You, you end up liking it, enjoying it so much, and they they give you the sense of they're very good at uh, giving 
so again it was very much about training the younger generations mm-hmm. and making you feel very important mm, and yeah. we had this beautiful free camps so we would go, go for you know to camps for free and you are given all kinds of assignments you know you're going to take care of this you're going to take care like little leadership roles mm-hmm. and this is how we want our young communists you know to, to train and to grow and we had a lot of fun honestly while this mentality was trickled into us mm-hmm. and as a child you're just into that oh i'm having so much fun this is so cool this is so great hmm, maybe this grown-ups don't really get it but i think this mm-hmm. communist thing is a really cool thing yeah and then then when you grow up a little bit more and life really comes at you and you are out of the childhood bubble and there are no more free camps and real life in a totalitarian regime can be extremely hard mm-hmm. um nerve-wracking so then nerve-wracking um plus um considering from the economic standpoint considering that the government decides where you are going to go and work yep. so you finish your college degree or your college whatever education and then you don't go and search for a job wherever you want and wherever it suits you. The government gives you, uh, assigns you the position. Mm-hmm. And that can be in a place where you you really, really don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Like the opposite side of the country, from away your from family. your family and from, and nobody cares. Mm-hmm. This is where, where you are sent and this is where you're going. Yeah. So yeah. you have zero control over that. And a lot of people having to get married during their the college years. So the moment they would um, graduate, the rep, the, the rep, the, it was called a repartition. So the repartition uh, took into account married couples. So mm-hmm. they wouldn't split them apart and they would send them in the same place. And yeah. the reasoning behind that was, well, if I'm going to be sent in, who knows what teeny tiny village or very, very lonely place where the closest house, let's say that I'm a doctor, and I'm going to be sent to work into a country small clinic. I'm studying you know, medicine, you know, six years, I'm going to get my repartition in that place, which is all fine. I mean, we need doctors in the small places. The problem is that place is so isolated that I'm not even sure I will be able to find a spouse and set up a family and all those kinds of things. So then by necessity, it was that. Plus the policy of uh, speaking reproductive rights. You have zero reproductive rights. The the state decides how many kids you're going to have. Yeah. So. And yeah. yeah. So the, the state decides. Yeah. There's another book. Um, it's out of print. But it is interesting, and I think it's one of the things that taught me at an early age what totalitarianism is like for children. Um, And it's called Mischling Second Degree, and it's by the author Ilsa Cohen. And it talks – it's a memoir, again, Mm -hmm. of growing up in Nazi Germany. And she was – she had one grandparent who was born Jewish, but who 
repudiated the religion and became a, a what they call a free thinker. Um, so they they were basically not of any religion, which is you know really dangerous in a in a totalitarian place because Ooh, then they'll yeah. tell they'll say you're of this religion or whatever. Yeah, you know, you, you whether you are be. or not. And mm-hmm. this girl essentially hid in plain sight by her mother divorcing her father. It was his mother who was technically born with one Jewish parent. Mm-hmm. So in divorcing him, not because she wanted to, but to protect their Survivor. child. To protect the child, yeah. And so essentially it it she was hidden in plain sight and she had to join Hitler Youth. And when we look at films of Hitler Youth mm-hmm. from the time period, when we see the kids in the uniforms, especially the boys, mm-hmm. you very seldom see the girls, but they had uniforms too and mm-hmm. they had meetings too and mm-hmm. they they did things. There is a passage where she tells her father, she still visits her father secretly. And, and he says, you have, he says, I hate to see you in that uniform. And the only reason he wasn't uh, sent to a camp was because he was an electrician who worked with the large electrical producing stations and the high tension cables. And he was one of the experts in the field. So you know, by the end yeah. of the war, he was needed every day to fix the things that the bombing stopped, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. every time, you know, he'd have someone say, well, I'll shoot you tomorrow. And he'd be like, yeah, sure you will. Okay, <laughs> I'll go fix the shoot thing. Shoot me and you're shooting yourself in the leg, you know. I mean, yeah. you're. Yeah, I'm yeah. your guy. So he was very mm-hmm. lucky in that sense. Yes. Um, I agree. Anyway, he said, I hate to see you in that, but I know you have to do it to fit in. And yes. she said, well, it's yeah. not like they do anything with us. It's it's just they teach us songs and we play games. Exactly. And yes. we we make crafts and, you know, yes. and, and he was like, all of this is meant to, to teach, teach you their values. And as you get mm-hmm. older, it's going to become less games, less songs, less um, dancing and more... Mm-hmm actually upholding the the regime yes and mm-hmm. yep. you know at that point y- you had to be so careful again just like you did you can't say anything outside of your house mm-hmm. you can't write anything down that's another Mm-mm. thing i noticed is you know once you start getting taught by your grandmother or before you start getting taught by your grandmother, you wrote down what you experimented with and what you experienced. Mm -hmm. And that was taken away from you. So then, clever girl, (laughs) you figured out where to hide stuff. Well, I'm going to put it behind a a picture and I'm going to put it under the rug. rug. But I'll spread it out so it doesn't make a lump in the middle because that was figured out, you know. So Mm -hmm. that is what she also had to do. And that is what you have to do you have to hide yourself Mm -hmm. and that's what you did and that is something that i think americans do have problems understanding that for survival's sake for safety 
you have to become clever and you mm-hmm. have to become flexible and yes. you have to you just have to learn to dodge and absolutely not tell the truth but make it look like the truth which means Mm -hmm. you have to kind (laughs) of act out the truth a little bit so that it's convincing and you basically learn to be what we would say in the movies a spy you're you're basically hiding yourself that's that's so to the point (laughs) in plain sight and then we throw in magic and Mm -hmm. fairies and boy they like secrecy too don't they they don't they do they 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 do i mean that's that that is one of the things you know that made me made me think and made me pondering and um considering okay even before we had an authoritarian regime and all that in my grandmother's youth by the way my grandmother lived to be 102 Oh. So we had a lot of time together and yeah. she's been around, she was around for a really long time, um, which means that she could see, she had the experience of living in the in both worlds prior to an authoritarian regime taking power and before that. So even before that, she told me, these are teachings that are practiced in, in, in secrecy. Mm-hmm. This is not something that you go political considerations or safety considerations um, from that, you know, social standpoint or not. These are things practiced uh, with a degree of, of secrecy. And teachings are not just handed over, you know, handed down freely. So there's usually a grandmother, an elder who initiates and teaches, trains, uh, usually a grandchild's not so often one of their own children, although sometimes that happens. So, yeah, and it looks like they, they do have a penchant for secrecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's themselves. I remember being told and then having had experience with it firsthand when a fairy comes and tells you, um, you're not supposed to tell us, you're not supposed to discuss this with, with anybody. And I mean, I read a lot in Irish lore, in Irish fairy lore about people receiving gifts from fairies and being told this will only last for as long as you keep it a secret. And mm-hmm. as soon as the person goes and brags about, oh, I got this from a fairy guide or fairy whatever encounter, the gift is gone. Yep. Whether it's good luck, whether it's financial abundance, whether it's a gift, you know, like music or ability to make poetry that's gone yeah so whatever yeah. it was you don't keep your mouth shut you lose it mm-hmm. so morgan yeah, daimler tells the story of oh, how that happened to her and i think actually pretty much any of us who've worked with fairies in any mm-hmm, mm-hmm. capacity can tell yeah some kind of story about well when they say keep your mouth shut they're not kidding um no they're not and yes, sometimes the punishment is physical and you go, oh, mm-hmm. well, yeah, I screwed that up, right? <laughs> you know? And I have to and I have to put the pieces back together yeah. and let go yeah. and get learned from my mistakes. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's um, that's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But yes, so. I I the dichotomy of secrecies, the, the, mm. the numbers of secrecies that are in this book, <laughs> not 
only is it well, it makes the story super interesting because you know it's it's kind of like a detective novel in a way. You know, there's there's levels of who knows what. <laughs> you know, and you gotta you gotta pretend to be Agatha Christie and go, okay, so does this person know this and that person? Especially when your grandmother is doing her healing practices, because okay, I love this. She's pretty well known, right? Throughout that local area. And I'm not talking a little tiny county. She's known out in some villages, Mm -hmm, out mm -hmm. in the boons, you know, as we call them, the boondocks. Uh, And she, but nobody, of course, talks about it openly. Like, (laughs) well, grandma over there, uh, by name, we're going to use her name. And she's really awesome. No, it's like this... um, it's like this underground yes, uh, exactly. telephone communication system. Mm-hmm. And there are and code words. There's, yeah. <laughs> you know, you mm-hmm. have to, you have to like, you know, you want to help people, but you also don't want to fall for someone pretending to be sick just to smoke Absolutely. you out. So she has her friends who practice with her and mm-hmm. they all scope people out. Yes. And, you know, there, let's talk about China again. When they had their uh, one-child policy, mm-hmm. there was an official, unofficial title called the Granny Police. And the Granny Police worked for the government. And they were the older women who were always in everybody's business, knew everything about everybody. Mm-hmm. And they would, were the ones who would find out if somebody was pregnant and wasn't supposed to be. And then it would be reported. And then she would help, see, more, more of those air quotes, yes. help the help. young woman do the right thing and either abort the child, give the child up for adoption, or, you know, whatever, to, yeah. to keep that in place. Um, and and it was an open secret as to who they were, mm-hmm. um, but they communicated along with with each other. And some of them were like double agents because yes. they would help women be able to keep at least their sons, you know, um, because uh, male children were were valuable valuable for for. Yeah how you know your your daughter you raise your daughter and she goes off to her husband's family Mm -hmm. when she gets married she's no longer helpful to you Mm -hmm. but a son is always helpful to the mother and father that has to do with uh patrifocal um Mm -hmm. society so i was fascinated to watch the uh underground information (laughs) gathering and disseminating group that surrounded your grandmother kept her safe allowed her to practice her medicine and helped the community and kept the community safe because even if you accepted healing from someone you weren't safe even your own father might rat you out Mm -hmm. so that was phenomenal and it goes right along with fairies you know nobody you know let ireland nobody really talked out loud about oh well that yeah 
because mm-hmm. they didn't like to be talked about because they were you respected that about them. You didn't do anything stupid that would make them angry with you. And then it was, you know, when there were times when the church was really down on it or when the English were really down on it governmentally, then it it brought attention from quarters mm-hmm. in the human world that you didn't want attention. So there's just levels and levels of secrecy happening here. Yeah, I want to add to that, uh, speaking of ratting out, there's a lot. There's so much that I could not... Okay, so um, I could not um, include in the book because there is a limited space, you know, pages, words that you can fill in and get your work, you know, published. So, um, and also it wasn't like really... um, it was more like tangent to the subject that I was trying to preserve this transmission of, of knowledge and practices of fairy seers from one generation to the other and what a child can do with, with, with magic. So one of the things that's not very clear in the book, it may somehow um, emerge like a scent, but not really like a clearly stated something, is the ability of these ladies, these witches, to know when someone is ratting out mm-hmm. and to eventually find um, who might be the person ratting out. And if somehow um, it happened, to be able to contain the damage. That's how we ended up with, with a visit from, from, from security. My aunt knew about it. So when she looked into both her cards, she used to read poker cards and also read the, the, the coffee cups, mm-hmm. the bottom of the coffee cup. So in doing that, she knew that something's coming. And therefore, we were prepared for for the worse. And that worse didn't happen. Um, it didn't, um, they didn't catch up, catch us with, with anything, which was very lucky. So, um, those little, little, they're not really little, those things convinced me that those practices, those divination practices are real. It was not a game. It was not a play pretend. It wasn't a charlatan's scheme to try to fool people. This was a matter of life and death. And those divination practices saved I want to say save the day, saved our necks in the most literal sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I can testify to the power that such practices done by genuine practitioners, well-trained practitioners, um, how powerful these practices can be. Speaking to the, the levels of, of, of secrecy, I want to go back to the fact that we have layers of believers in the right and true order, with the elderly being really reluctant to embrace that because they're old enough and they saw the country moving through various transitions, through the wars, between the wars, the um, after the wars, the coming of the communist regime, the monarchy that we had before the regime. So they, they saw it literally all. So they're not so much sold out on, on the idea of, you know, communist and um, renouncing completely private property. And 
so not really then you have the middle layer uh the in-between generation the parents who some of them are more into that some of them are so they don't really know and then Mm -hmm. you have the children literally torn apart Mm -hmm. by what am i going to believe my grandparents my parents or what i'm being taught at school and everybody starts taking sides and aggregate around the nucleus that they feel more resonant. So Mm -hmm. statement statement of the obvious, I aggregated around (laughs) grandmother as the nucleus. Um, So I I really felt drawn toward following and believing that side of, of, of things. Another level of secrecy, in case you haven't had enough layers until now, there's one more. The um, Christian church in Romania, differently from what happened in the Soviet Union, was left fairly alone. Mm -hmm. Why? Because priests had to teach about what a great country we live in and how fabulous are the party leaders and have congregation pray for the health and well-being of the party leaders who are taking care of us and guiding us so that was that second the church paid huge amount of money to the government to be left alone Mm -hmm. and fourth those priests who are free thinkers and because i mean there were a lot of or quite a few of free thinking free spirited even among you know the 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 christian who are like upholding values that were not in line with um with the communist with the whatever so those were uh killed Mm -hmm. so killed or sent into camps from where they they from where they never came back basically so um the repression of religious leaders was much stronger in the the early years when the communist regime really took took a hold of of the power it kind of lessened a little bit even among members of the ruling I'll call it elite because this is what it it, it was, even if they mm-hmm. wouldn't wouldn't take it. It was like this class, um, small group who amassed privilege and power. So that would be an elite. And many of them had relatives. They came from the countryside with grandparents and maybe you know among their relatives, uncles who were priests. So even among that ruling, dominating political elite, not everybody was blatantly against. Even among those, some were really, really bent on the values of a um, materialistic philosophy and, you know, the authoritarian regime and how good it is to keep order this way. So some of them were, but some were not some were not some were still people who would cross themselves before leaving to work in the morning uh some of them were people who would still baptize their kids in secrecy Mm -hmm. privately have something uh done at home this is how my parents because my my 
my grandmother, she was she was a Christian. I mean, I'm not a Christian, but my grandmother was. As a kid, for example, I saw no problem, and it's like, okay, that's a Christian god, and then that's that's these other deities. I I, I really liked Frau Holle, mm-hmm. and you know, celebrate and honor goddess Frau mm-hmm. Holle each time it snowed. So I didn't see a problem of having, you know, gods and goddesses and the Christian god and the fairies and spirits of the land and having a big party there. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed uh, our, uh, the, the was this pretty little church where my grandmother used to go and I used to like going with her there. And I was looking at the prayers and the incense that's being burned. And I was like, they're doing the same thing that we are doing at home. Why is it okay to do it in church? It's not okay to do it in your own house by yourself. So big confusion right there. And I noticed that the the, the um, priest, the local priest, didn't really like grandma. So my grandmother was just minding her own her own thing and she would go to church and say, well, you know, the relationship with, with the divine, however you perceive the divine, that's personal, you know. Um, so it doesn't really go through through the, the, the priest. So we had to keep it secret from the priest as well, who was aware that grandmothers was doing things, but not to a level that would really prompt him to go and and complain to any kind of authority. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was very complicated life, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it was. And you know, I love, I love that that the Eastern Orthodox Church had sense enough mm-hmm. to essentially pay off the government to leave them basically alone. You know, yeah. so long as they did this thing or the other thing for the government, the government kind of went, oh, okay, yeah, you're harmless. We're not going to, okay, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you are absolutely right. In a in an authoritarian regime, it always is a ruling class, a privileged class, and they bend the rules for their friends and oh, yeah. relatives absolutely. all the time. It doesn't matter what country you're in, that's how it happens. So there's there's different levels of what you must do to be perceived as okay with the government. And so long it's all about who you know. Yes, and, and, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And and how you negotiate your path through life in that system is very complicated. It, it's not a simple thing. It's not, again, if I was to say, what is the theme of this book? It's secrecy. It is yeah. what is secret? What is open secret? What is, what is generally known? What is safe to be known? Uh-huh. How to be safe? I mean, I, you, you, you talk about the fairies and you explain your experience of the fairies all through the book. I mean, the, a fairy path is absolutely a great title. Um, but it's also about secrets and it's not just their secrets. It's your secrets and your grandmother's secrets and the church's secrets. And um, yeah, I, I really got that the priest did yep. not much like your grandmother. And I thought it was amazing that she went to church anyway, because it wasn't any of his damn business what she does with herself. Uh-huh. But, you know, there she is also 
appearing among the other good Christians as a good Christian. So what can yep. the priest do about it? Mm, not much. Nothing. She, your grandmother was a very, very canny woman. She was, she's probably yeah. uncanny too <laughs> with the magic Oh, yes, part. yes. <laughs> um, but she was really, really intelligent. And, you know, I have the utmost respect for older women, always have. Um, but th- she is like, I'm like, you go, girl. You go. I think she's, she's in a sense, she's the protagonist, the main character in, in the book, mm-hmm. dare I say. And the book is dedicated to her. So right there on the first page is to grandma. And they wanted to say something about the title because um, some people, so they the, the name memoir, the word memoir in the title kind of rubbed them the wrong way. And I was asked, who mm, are you to write memoirs? And I'm like, well, the word memoir there is tongue-in-cheek for a purpose. Mm-hmm. A nine-years-old kid, ten-years-old kid usually doesn't write memoirs, but I do. Mm-hmm. It's it's my nine, ten, eleven years old in that book. So it's it's the memoir of a young pharisee. Now, how many pharisees or witches really write memoirs? To my knowledge, nobody. Or if they do, nobody gets it or, except the family. Or their so coven. If, if they do, exactly. So that's that's a very um, so the memoir there in it's it's um, it goes against against the grains with 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 some rules. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit provocative, mm-hmm. and it is intended to be provocative, like the the rebellious kid in that in the book itself was really provocative and sometimes, you know, defying of authority and defying of of rules and getting into trouble and learning from that how to stay safe and the value of secrecy, the value of still staying standing tall and proud and speaking your truth in a way that benefits you. It's not about saying out blatant lies, but knowing how to, learning at a very young age, how to present the truth from an, a different angle in such a way that you're not harmed by, by your stating the truth and not harming your, your family. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a lesson in diplomacy. And that's where I, I did go with this memoir in, in the title. It's Young Diplomat in Training. <laughs> That's the thing. In an authoritarian country, you have to be diplomatic about everything. Absolutely. Everything is a balance. It's all like you're like the the guys in the in the circus that, you know, balance the plates on poles that spin and and, yes. and then throw them at each other. It's like how no. No, how do you do that? <laughs> and you know, I'm going to take a a quick turn here and mm-hmm. and talk a little bit about the magic itself um because one of the things about traditional witchcraft and traditional magic sh- shamanic work in a specific um culture is it's almost always some kind of secret mm-hmm. there are secrets to it there's only so much that you can tell now currently in the neo-pagan um movement here in the United States, there's not as much secrecy. Um, we're out. 
people know about us. They know where we are. They know where we live, you know, because we hang, you know, triple goddess flags outside of our house and we wear pentacles on the, on the outside, Of course, you know, and that's what we do. Yeah, exactly. So I'm wearing my Thor hammer here. Yeah. And I've got a, a, a a big old moon goddess on my, on my Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. That's (laughs) Nathor. So she's the Nile and the moon goddess from pre-dynastic Egypt. So she's, she's, you know, I've got the old lady on there. She's, she's really, really ancient. Um, but what's going to happen if there really does become a Christian nationalist government, not just a movement, but a government or a military that is guided by a Christian nationalist, white nationalist leanings. <laughs> That's where I say to neo-pagans, grab yourself a copy of Daniela's book, grab yourself a copy of Michelin Second Degree and read and absorb that kind of mindset. Um, in the grim yet not so completely unlikely um, possibility for us ending up with a um, regime that's run by fundamental uh, fundamentalism, Christian fundamentalism and white supremacist um, political military regime, I would say that such books become survival guides. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, honestly, at the time I wrote the book, I didn't write it with with such a bleak outcome in mind, but now um, I cannot ignore the possibility. So that is a surviving survival guide in the sense that teaches uh, how to operate when you have to navigate this intricate maze of expectations and what's true and valuable for yourself and um, whom you can rely upon and whom you cannot rely upon. So it's a very complicated maze that needs to be uh, navigated and I think the book really helps. It's now, you know, I'm trying to see it from the perspective of, of an outside, someone who's not involved because me, okay, that's about me. I'm involved. I'm part of that. I can only be objective to a certain degree. But if I'm trying to see it uh, from your perspective, for example, Barbara, from the eyes, you know, the outsider, um, I believe there's a lot in there that warns about the possibility. Uh, what is it um to come if people insist in bringing it about and uh, warns about that these things are not to be taken lightly. Decisions that uh, one makes have very wide-reaching impact. It goes beyond the personal level and the nuclear family. It goes, reverberates across the society and it can change, I don't want to say forever, but at least for a very, very, very long mm-hmm. time, life as we know it, 
because once people get hold on to power, they're not going to let it go easily. No. And it's easier to prevent something from happening than having to take reverse it down, it. Yeah. reverse it once, once um, it happens. And the takedown reversal process, it's, it's very difficult. We can have a completely separate episode on, on, yeah. on how that yeah. is, but it, it usually generates a bloodbath. Yeah, it's so not. I, I, it's not I, pretty. I, I saw it. I saw it. I was part of that. So, mm-hmm. um, it's it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's not safe. The outcome is not guaranteed. No. Um, again, you mentioned China, Barbara, before. The outcome is not guaranteed, and um, it may not succeed. Yeah. It may just um, fail. Yeah. Flat. Yeah. And. Uh... You know, now there's going to be listeners going, ah, she's lost it. She's gotten paranoid. It's like, no, y'all, y'all don't no. even know. Mm-mm. I was Mm-mm. born paranoid. So just just, <laughs> just understand that this has always been in the back of my head. Why do you think I have studied all of these regimes? Mm-hmm. Um, so, And, you know, uh, it would be so nice to just worry without having like a really really strong reason to worry and see over the next few years that yeah it was a phase it was a phase you know when when people really leaned into this fundamentalist there is a pre-emergence a resurgence of that but it's kind of we're finding a place of balance you know the past and the present and the pre-christian and the christian they harmoniously learn to coexist and it's all good yeah, so it would be very nice. I mean, that's that's always a a possibility. Um. So, but it's also good to consider that any outcome is possible, still possible. Everything is on the table. Everything is in flux for, right for the now. taking. Everything is out for the taking. So yeah, I mean, let's also be realistic. Let's talk about another secret. You and I both do divination. Yeah, and sometimes. Most of the time, it's it's small things that you that you mm-hmm. catch. Oh, you know, you're going to be able to go to college because you get accepted, blah, 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 you know. But that's a big mm-hmm. thing for one person, but it's a small thing in the grand scheme of things, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Or, okay, you're having problems with your your marriage. Yeah. What, mm-hmm. just, just tell me because it's right there. I can see it. Okay, you're not going to tell me? Okay, I will tell you. And then, you. of course... They tell you, okay, yeah, you were right. Okay, so let's talk about that. That mm-hmm. is, again, a big thing in a small sense. Like, it is not going to change the whole world. And then you get those readings, and they usually are repeated, which are about the big things. And that's when mm-hmm. you call your friends who also do divination and go, hey, did you see, did you get a, a, have you done the cards recently? Have you gotten a rogue, like, streak of saying the same thing with huge, you know, major arcanas? Uh, Have you had a dream recently? Like, you know, we have a mutual friend who's like, I had this weird dream last night. Did anybody else have Mm -hmm. weird dreams? And then, you know, it turns out that several of us had Had similar dreams or connecting dreams. But, and Mm -hmm. yeah. So, it's one of those things. I've always been somewhat paranoid because of 
various things from my childhood. Um, but I've also been receiving warnings from outside and other people have. So, I mean, I'm not saying anything is set in stone. It's not. Yeah. As, as well, I said that's, before. That, that's the beauty of things. You know, you do divination and you do, you, you get like signals about the potentiality. You don't get certainties. Yes. You know, that's a potential. And if you act on that potential, then you can stir things in one direction or, or, or another. That, so That yep. is the value of divination. And your mm-hmm. aunt... Miss, I'm going to see that in the cards. Miss Camellia, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to look at that and go, oh, y'all. Fam, hey, fam, come on. That's we coming. Need to do some, we need to do some stuff here. Um, and I love that she's not well regarded necessarily. But when she says, I saw this in the cards, everybody, boom, ears perk up. Oh, yeah. Everybody's listening. They know what she can do. And so they may not look at her favorably on her personal life but they know her skill and they respect that and listen amazing story uh so she said that and it didn't come to pass you all you all did the things that you had to Mm -hmm. do to make it not come to pass it was still nerve-wracking it was was about to blow it yeah and you i was about to blow it as a little kid i was like oh my god how could a little kid but you you got it you did it you did it right as we say in my family you did the thing you did it right you didn't fuck it up and it worked (laughs) so that's that's a a good story from there that has a happy ending although the whole time i'm sitting there and i start reading faster so what happens Um, obviously it didn't destroy everything because she was here to write the book, but still. Um, and I want people to understand I am not slamming Christianity itself. Mm -mm. Um, I have a lot of Christian friends, a lot of people who are very loving and who are just as worried about the potentiality of a Christian reconstructionist, white supremacist, group a minority of our country at that yeah coming together and creating just a huge mess in our country it's not just every christian no most of the no. christians are like me and Absolutely. you going oh no 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 exactly. we don't need to go like there. my grandmother like, oh, yeah. like my grandmother like my mother like so many other people whom i know and just lovely beings with the healthiest possible values regarding the human being mm-hmm. and um, the sense of, of honesty and respect for each uh, other one another yeah absolutely so no um my concern is not with someone's beliefs or religion whatever those may be is the fundamentalism yeah. When you take things down to extreme and you become a, fund- a fundamentalist, I don't care whether you're a pagan, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're um, a, a Jew, communist. What, a <laughs> communist. If, if it boils down to fundamentalism, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Super conservative and fundamentalist in your values, that already says that it's only my way mm-hmm. and everyone else is wrong. Yeah. That's that's the recipe for disaster, mm-hmm. um, and and that is antithetical 
antithetical, antithetical, my God, I just made up a word. <laughs> that is antithetical to the values that were written into the Declaration of Independence and Independence. the Constitution. So yeah, it's not, it's not a good thing. And it's, it's antithetical to what's in most Christian teaching. So yeah, let's, let's, let's be honest here. Mm-hmm. I am of the opinion that we need to join up with pretty much everybody, everybody. and stand up and say no. And I think, that, I think that you, you basically wrote a book that, that says that in, mm-hmm. in a, in a way that you don't, you know, you pick this up, you go, oh, neo-pagan is a fairy, it's a magic, a seer. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's divination of the, oh my goodness. This is not just that. That's all, it's it's a bunch of other things. And so that's why I, I, you know, suggest to everybody, you know, read this book, learn as much as you can from it. And she's going to come out with another one, I'm pretty sure, that's going to go more into the magic aspect. Yes. But yep. you can't understand her magic as well if you don't understand where it arose from. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. You're coming from a culture that is different than where you are living now in the United States. Mm-hmm. So your, your growing up is, is completely outside of our reference. It is different. And your tradition of fairies is different. How many people in the United States go, oh, fairies, where do they come from? Oh, they come from Ireland. They come from Scotland. They come from England. No, they come from all over the world, you know, and and Romania is one of those places. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, some come from, we have like fairy beings uh, coming from the north, from the Germanic Mm -hmm. cultures, and and they are here. I had encounters with, I mean, cool, going to Ireland and expect to encounter knowing my propensity to run into 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 fairy beings and related um shenanigans i expected to encounter and somehow interact or whatever has you with the, the sheet the local the irish mm-hmm. sheet nope um <laughs> alfar so mm-hmm. around dublin area and within dublin itself the presence what i um interacted with and experienced came from the Alfar, from the North Alfar. So they come from everywhere. They're mm-hmm. uh, not totally bound to, to, to geography. So we have this yeah. migration of, of um, people from our world, consensus reality, and, and the other um, as well. So, yeah. yeah. That, and if you think about it, if we're talking about magical beings, why in God's name? Would they be stuck in one place? It doesn't make any sense. If, if they can travel at will, if they can dematerialize and materialize, yep. if they can move through reality like swimming in air, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, if they can do all these things, why do they stay in one place? They don't. They don't. Yep, that's, they don't. that's the answer. You know, Occam's razor, you know, if we're going to take fairies as a, as a real thing, Mm-hmm. Occam's razors would say probably it's not, but it doesn't matter. But if you take that logical thought, well, if if they are magical and can do this, that, and the other thing, then they are not going to be bound 
by any human expectation. They are a non-human intelligence. They mm-hmm. are people. Exactly. How yep. many human people stay put where they were? Uh, we've never have. <laughs> Otherwise, I we'd mean, all be in Africa and nobody would be anywhere else. <laughs> we would all have dark point. skin. We would all be in Africa in, and that's oh. where we'd be. You know, that's not what happened. It hasn't happened from the beginning. It's not going to happen until the end of time. We're going to keep moving around. We're going to go into space eventually. And, you know, that's not a very hospitable environment, but we're still going to do it because that's what people do. (laughs) Everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, I want to add something about the book because um, those of our listeners didn't see it or only now learn about it there might be the impression that the book is has very little magic compared to the rest of it and i want to say that that's not the case oh no not at all you're going to to see there my grandmother in action Mm -hmm. like um like a full um deposition Mm -hmm. situation and I was around and I'm going to, I'm telling it in the book. I'm repeating it now. My knees were rubber. Yeah. So when I, when I witnessed and I, I, I saw that and I participated into that, um, there's also all kinds of charms and, and spells, folk magic, um, throughout the book as I was participate as, as I participated in it as, as grandmother was doing it and I was just trying to spy on it and uh, looking through the keyhole some- oh yeah plenty <laughs> so uh, Barbara mentioned at some point um, that I was writing I had my first little magical journal and I was trying to record things and um, as we discussed there wasn't a good idea to keep put things in writing anyway so that got confiscated by my mother for a number of reasons first it was dangerous to have things in writing just say that somebody comes to search your house and finds a magical you know a whole collection of of curses and these kind of things yeah and second when you really really want to have your child distancing themselves from from such practices first thing you would do you try to destroy their little magical journal so that was the end of my magical journal however I start because I I have a really good memory. So uh, I started to recreate and, you know, develop things that I I stored on bits and pieces of paper and eventually recreated um, a a little notebook that I wrote on the cover of it in black ink, Daniela's Book of Magic. So, and found a way to play, to, to hide it, find a place to hide it. So in the book... There's a whole section at the end, like uh, partly recreated Daniela's little book of magic mm-hmm. with some of the spells in the form that they were back then, uh, especially those whom I remember from, from grandma, but some of them changed to also reflect where I am now Yeah, in my practice. So it's still the essence preserves from those years and the foundation would be... Um, authentic folklore Romanian, but also with some added elements of me growing like this wild pagan heathen mm-hmm. um, who has a pretty strong magical practice. So yeah, that's also there. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm going to 
I'm going to reiterate because I didn't I, I didn't want to give too many spoilers, you know, but your grandmother, yeah. when she threw down, she threw down. I mean, seriously, <laughs> yeah. she she dealt with possession. She dealt with a very strong curse. Okay. She dealt with healing, a very dramatic healing of a child. And she she told some, you know, baby kidnapping uh, <clears throat> undying ones to yeah. shove off, you know, it, mm-hmm. in a respectful and um, yeah. ethical get the manner. Off. But yeah, yeah basically. Get, get the fuck off here because yeah, if you, you come fuck back. right off, y'all. <laughs> you fuck off to fuck off still. And when you get there, you keep fucking off <laughs> until you leave the whole country. Just, just. Go. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she's, she's a badass. I'll just say mm-hmm. it. I'll just say it. She was, she was very strong and it's in there and it, people are going to look at this book and they're going to be like, it's so thin. How can all that be in there? It's because it's well-written, concisely written, and it's full of so much knowledge that it's just, it's, I can't recommend it more highly. I, I I really think that many many people, even if you never do magic, if you do magic, if you want to do with fairies, if you don't want to do with fairies, just read it, and it it tells an interesting story too, and it it does, you know, the way that that history and um, magic used to be told, how these stories used to be told was oral history from around the fire. And that's what you basically replicated. Um, All of that folklore that Morgan and Kat and you and I, Josh Kutchin, we all read, those were stories from a first person's perspective that were about things that happened to people that then were passed down. So you basically did that. You gathered your stories and now you're passing it down in print and you did a great job. Thank you. I'm so happy and honored and humbled that I was able, you know, to add my voice to um, the choir, so to speak. Um, that of so that choir of people talking about their own personal experiences and putting personal experiences that some of them are quite intimate. It's your Mm -hmm. connection with spirit and spirituality. And putting that into a kind of shop window where people can look at it from all angles leaves you, or at least left me, vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But to afford that vulnerability, you got to be really strong. Mm -hmm. Because so putting these things forth for people to see and learn from it um it may leave you with a sense of vulnerability but actually when you make the decision you feel actually very strong Mm -hmm. like yes i'm strong enough to be able to to be open Mm -hmm. to open up yeah um the other thing what I found, so this book, obviously, it's been with me in my head, in my heart for a very, very long time. 
and it's not the first book that I, I uh, wrote, but somehow I was hesitant about putting all this out there because it's very personal. Mm-hmm. So it's personal with this far-reaching impact, nevertheless personal. And Morgan and Kat were such a big inspiration. So Morgan Dimer and, and Kat Heath were such big inspirations because I learned, so this was a while ago, um, I was into paganism. I mean, I was already like a pretty, fairly seasoned pagan. Yeah. And I wanted to find ways to talk about my own experiences and didn't know exactly how. And then when I read Morgan and Kat, the first thing was, oh, I'm not the only one mm-hmm. having encountered this and having encountered that fairies and spirits and deity and wow. And people are talking about it. So if I'm going out there and talk about it, I'm not going to be like the strangest mm-hmm. uh, yeah. thing in the world. Second, look how much I learned and how their stories, their material helped me ground and find my footing on a path that's not necessarily an, an, an easy one when you have lots of experiences and you need to still stay grounded and um, align yourself to social and family and mm-hmm. demands and expectations. And in reading their work, I found it of, of um, immense help and value. So I cannot recommend enough Morgan Diner and Catherine's Absolutely. Uh, work. And then I'm like, okay, I can add my voice to the choir. And the more of us, the merrier. And the more of us, the stronger. And the better the world we live in. Let's mm-hmm. bring the magic back. But yeah. Re-enchant <laughs> more the magic. world. Re-enchanting the world. Yeah. yeah. I, that's, that's kind of mission statement. Yeah. Let's re-enchant the world. <laughs> Definitely. And, and right now, you know, the whole pandemic and the aftermath and the 2016 election and the aftermath and January 6th and the aftermath of that. The aftermath. Yeah. We really need some enchantment. <laughs> we, we, we need some enchantment and sure. not just little twee enchantment with sparkles. Mm-mm. No, no we, we need big. the big enchantment. <laughs> For every single imaginable reason, we need that enchantment, whether it's for ourselves not to succumb self-doubt and, you know, uh, depression, not to succumb to um, the grim perspective that it's still out there and possible undesired outcomes um, happening, we need enchantment Mm -hmm. to affect change, Mm -hmm. to affect change and ump the the good vibes, so to speak. We need that enchantment to make a difference, to ground and bring forth the most powerful expression of ourselves and makes our, make our voices heard enchantment couldn't hurt so no. we need enchantment by by all counts yes yes i'm gonna we're gonna end it there because that's a great statement um thank you so much i it's so great welcome. to talk with you again and again you know thank you for writing this book I, it's one of my favorites, and if I get to meet you sometime, I'm going to bring it with me so you can you can sign up for me. It has notes Let's in it. Let's get together. <laughs> I wrote notes in it, <laughs> which I do with yeah. all of my stuff. So, 
Me too. All right. It's two of us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's always, always a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you. Excellent. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. (laughs) 